Our parents told us this when it came to the friends we chose or the music we listened to. Now, you've probably told this to your kids too, and honestly, I found myself saying a version of this to my kids just recently. Garbage in, garbage out. With the garbage in, garbage out theory, this is the idea. Your life is like a bucket. And what you put into that bucket, your attitudes, your, your actions, how you spend your time, the, the people that surround you, like that's what you become. Your life will reflect whatever it is that fills your bucket, day after day, year after year. So during the quarantine months, when we really weren't having in-person worship gatherings at White Oak and we were online only, I'll be honest with you, I enjoyed some new habits. I started sleeping in a little bit on Sunday mornings, and that was great. I didn't even know that was a thing, all right? Um, one Sunday morning, I actually just put on my shoes and I went for a run before the service began online. I, I don't know, have you ever been in that moment where you get to see how like the other half lives? And what I mean by that is I've been in vocational ministry all of my life. So Sunday mornings were always essentially a, a work day. So to, to have this morning like as flexible as it was, it was really nice. And even on Easter, after watching the service online, my family hopped in the car and we drove to a family member's house just to hang out. There was no tearing down after our services at Ross High School and no packing away our portable church into a trailer. It was just easier. And honestly, I felt a little like I was developing this relational atrophy and it was beginning to creep in. Like I wasn't in, I wasn't in community like I had been before and it was a bit uncomfortably comfortable. And I, in that. And so, it, frighteningly, it was just easy for me to turn inward. Faith community began to be defined as me measuring an experience I was having online rather than connecting to and serving people. Now, I don't know how or, or with what you've been filling your bucket with over these past few months, especially on Sundays. Um, some of you um, are, are just beginning to explore faith in Jesus and explore church through White Oak Online right now, and we're so glad that you have a safe and comfortable place to explore those things. We're glad you're with us. Now, others have not felt safe coming back to live services yet, or you have younger kids and you're waiting for us to open up our children's ministry here in just a few weeks, and, and you've been taking on the critical role of spiritually guiding and nurturing your family, and that's a great bucket filler. Now, others have taken the opportunity to look outward, and you're using White Oak Online as a tool to invite your friends and your family into conversations about faith in Jesus. Again, great bucket filler. Now, still others have found this, this season has left you feeling disconnected. You've enjoyed being at home, and frankly, it's been easier. Fewer arguments, getting the kids ready for church, and you've gotten out of one habit and into another. And you, too, are filling your bucket. See, we each find that our buckets are being filled every day. And some of those things can be focused on conveniences and self-interests, and other things can fill it with selflessness and love for others. So what's the bucket situation for you right now? Fill it with love, and Jesus claims that we could actually become love. See, right now, our culture is searching for answers, and it's searching in politics, 
It's searching for it in policing and protesting. We're searching by holding fast to our viewpoints on issues of race and whether COVID-19 is a conspiracy or masks are necessary. And I don't know what your faith background is or what your experience with church is or how you feel about Jesus, but these days, the contents of our buckets are being analyzed by our neighbors. And we show what's in our buckets by the words that we say or don't say in conversation or on social media. We show it by the actions we take or don't take. And like it or not, everyone is looking at everyone else, noting what is spilling out of our buckets. And those of us who are followers of Jesus have an opportunity to stick to our guns concerning what we believe. We can remain silent, convincing ourselves that Jesus never engaged certain issues. We can become uh, church consumers instead of partners in ministry. Or we can do what nobody expects. We can answer with irrational love for one another. And the more we love, we can actually become love. You see, we need to develop a really unrealistic idea of what faith can do when it is expressed through love. We must decide that it's time to start loving people like Jesus loved them. It's time to stop simply agreeing with Jesus and telling others what he meant, but instead start to follow Jesus's example. In fact, that's our main idea for today. Stop agreeing with Jesus and start following his example. John was one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. And I want you to look what he says in the, his biography of Jesus' life in John chapter 13. Here it is, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love one another. Now that seems simple enough. And and the truth is, this wasn't a new commandment for Jesus' disciples. This was a centuries-old commandment from the Jewish law handed down from God to Moses. It was the second greatest commandment for the Jewish people right after love for God. So why does Jesus say that love one another is new? Well, it mostly has something to do with this. Loving one another had simply gone out of fashion for the Jewish people of Jesus' day. Religious leaders had added rules about revenge and retaliation. Self-love had become more popular, so much so that the law of selfless brotherly love had become obsolete and frankly outdated. You see, it's easy to agree with Jesus. And honestly, most of us do in many ways. And that's whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that. And most of us think that's a great ideal. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. So Jesus said that too. And we'd all pretty much agree that that's how you prefer to interact with people at work or your classmates, your neighbors. And it's how you prefer that your boss or kids on social media or the other moms that you know that that you would want them to treat you. How about the story of the Good Samaritan? 
You may or may not be familiar with that story, but chances are you're familiar with the lesson that comes from it, and you'd probably agree with that too. So Jesus shares this story, and Luke records it for us in his narrative of Jesus's life in Luke chapter 10. This is how it goes. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus goes on to tell a story of a man who is beaten and left for dead along the side of the road. The man who was beaten is Jewish, and the one who ultimately will stop and help him is from a people group that the Jews didn't get along with. So allow me to retell the story, replacing Jesus' characters with some modern-day examples. One day, there was a man traveling from a long distance from his hometown to a neighboring city. The man was from a hardworking family, and he considered himself a Christian and even affiliated with a local church. Now, somewhere along the journey, a group of men jumped this man while he was traveling along. And they came out of nowhere, from behind a building or out of the woods. We don't know for sure. But some may have described this, this group as, as, as a group of thugs or hoodlums. I mean, you know the types of people who would do something like this. But there was no cell phone footage or traffic cameras to capture the scene. But these people beat this traveler badly. I mean, I'm talking about his face was busted up, his arm was broken, there was tons of blood, and they beat him and left him for dead by the side of the road. Now, in Jesus' story, there are three very polarizing characters that enter the scene, and, and all three of them represent a strong sense of cultural, religious, and, and racial profiles. So a bit later, a man passed by and saw the traveler laying there. The man was also a Christian. At one time, he had served in some capacity at his church. He was well-respected in his community, and he was heading to vote in a local election or take his son to a soccer game or something like that. But, but he was also in a hurry, and he saw the man lying there half dead, but he passed by without a word. Sometime later, a second person came along, and she had a series of stickers and symbols on a bag she carried, which represented all the social groups and issues that she was very outspoken about. We don't know her religious affiliations. Um, she happened to be wearing a mask. And those, though, though she often spoke of, of justice, she too passed by as the man lay there bleeding. Now at this point in the story, Jesus has probably offended almost everybody listening. All right? Almost everyone. But take a look at the third character. So finally, several hours have passed, right? And a third person comes across the injured traveler. Now, this guy didn't look like the others in the story. He had just come from a protest rally in a neighboring city. And he wore a t-shirt that said something like, no justice, no peace. Now, he saw the helpless and bleeding man. And he didn't know the man. He didn't know his politics. He didn't know his background, how easy or hard his life had been. 
He didn't claim to understand how the man had gotten there or how he could have perhaps avoided being in that position in the first place if maybe he had just taken a different route. But he scoops the man up and he half drags him to a hospital a few miles down the street. And when the nurse comes into the room to ask about what happened, she notices that the unlikely man in the t-shirt had already begun to wipe away the blood from the injured man's wounds. Now his bucket was full and it was clear to her what it was that was filling it. Of course, each of these three characters in our story are interchangeable. Any one of them could have been the one who helped. It kind of just depends on your viewpoint, doesn't it? But Jesus had two points that he wanted to make by sharing this story. First, your neighbor is the person you don't feel deserves or needs your empathy, care, and love. And here's the second point, and it stings a little bit more. You should have been the hero in this story. Or in this case, you should have been the hero in the story, but you missed it. See, Jesus looked at this man who posed this question, hoping to justify his already held beliefs. And he made this observation. Jesus says, you've allowed people around you to suffer. You have done so by ignoring their pain. You've assumed you know their intents and their hearts. And you've doled out your love and care to those who are most like you. So you've defined neighbor instead of allowing God to do so. And the very people whom you think don't deserve your empathy or your listening ear or your helping hand or your love, this is what Jesus says as he's leaning into this man. The very people you don't think deserve that, they are the very people who will rise up and display the tender mercies of your heavenly father in the places where you didn't. And White Oak, let me tell you something. Let me just say this to you. Those of you who call White Oak your church home, may that never be true about us. That, not, that this is not the picture of White Oak as we move into the future. And if you're content to let other people love in your place, we want you to get to know Jesus more so that you can live like him. But if you're determined to stay where you are, I just want to tell you with this, this with all love, this may not be the right church for you. Jesus said this in verse 34. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So how do we prove who we are? Jesus didn't say it was by the stands we would take or the things we even believe about God. Our love would be the proof. Our love for one another at White Oak and our love for our city would be the proof of God's undying love for the world. So, so how do we fill our buckets with love so that we actually, as Jesus said, like become love? The first thing I want to say is this, is we must diversify our surroundings. Be intentional about getting to know people who look and think differently than you. Because listen, if I'm only willing to love people who agree with me, those who see things the way that I see them, it's like reading every other page of the Bible thinking that I know what it says. 
Loving people well doesn't mean that you always agree with them or that you condone their choices. But people who are becoming love are seeking out those whose stories and viewpoints are different from their own so that you may develop understanding and empathy for that person. Listen to them, serve them, and you and I will develop love for them. Remember this, issues are issues. People are not issues. So how do we become love? Here's the next one. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Ask yourself this question. Do I see it as my job to straighten people out when I see that they're wrong? See, people who are becoming love aren't motivated by proving a point or being right. Think about it this way. You can be correct and not right. Let me say that again. You can be correct, but not right. See, only Jesus has the power to change people, and it will be harder for people to see him if their view is blocked by our big opinions. Thirdly, here's how we become love. Obey Jesus. Obey Jesus. One author I read recently said this, For a long time I saw Jesus from a distance and I thought that we had met. See, people who are becoming love must wrestle with this question. Am I trying to believe Jesus for my whole life or am I trying to obey him? You see, believing is cheap and obeying is costly. Obeying is costly and uncomfortable. It makes me grow and fill my bucket with love one decision and one discussion at a time. It makes me put away my pride and my agenda. And these decisions aren't made for a lifetime. The decisions to love people well are made for 30 seconds at a time. So the question is, can I love someone for 30 seconds at a time? See, John reminds us this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, the only reason we have the right and privilege to love is because our Heavenly Father chose to love us. Jesus died for us because our agendas and our selfishness and our conveniences got in the way of us knowing God. And he wants us to know him because he overflows with love for who we are right now. And as followers of Jesus, we are the way forward for our neighbors. We must be the ones who stand in the gap and love as Jesus loves. We will love in Ross and in Coleraine and Fairfield and Hamilton and Cincinnati so that people in our city know that God is the hero of their story. 
So, so what's our next step in becoming love? Here's the first one. For some of you, I just want to challenge you to accept it that Jesus loves you like crazy. And maybe you need to talk to someone about baptism and about asking his grace and mercy just to wash over you. And I'll tell you right now, I want you to email me right now if that's something you want to talk about. nhinkle at thewocc.com. For others, it's just choosing to love someone who disagrees with you this week. Intentionally seek them out and commit to one act of love toward them, 30 seconds at a time. White Oak, it's time to stop agreeing with Jesus and start following his example.